Yes, that's right. Hello. It's Friday afternoon. Hope you're doing well. Hope you're enjoying life, the universe, and everything. And uh, yeah, we are going to have a wee uh, ramble through the news today. Um, uh, this was mentioned to me yesterday, but I didn't actually uh, get a chance to check it out. But uh, I'm sure you are aware that uh, Larry Elder, a fine conservative, happens to be black, running to become the first black governor of California, a, a liberal woman uh, through exit him while, while wearing a gorilla mask. Now, of course, if you know, if, if you imagine, it's kind of boring to point out, but if you'd imagine someone did this to Obama back in the day, it would be crazy. Visit uh, video is blurry. Is that right? Uh, blurry. Lost focus on DLive camera. Is it back at all? Let me just check here. No, it's blurry on my end. Maybe a bandwidth thing? Uh, who knows? Who knows? Um, it's all right. I have a local recording here anyway, so now good. All right. So, yeah, that's pretty pretty brutal, right? As, as you can imagine. Uh, and... Just so you understand, like the, the translation from the state is is important, right? So, like, just so you understand, how, I'm sure you do understand how this rolls. But uh, the way that it rolls is this: um, if you oppose further expansions of uh, further expansions of state power, you are a white supremacist. That is that is the translation, right? If if you oppose uh, any further expansions of state power, then you are a white supremacist just so you i'm sure you understand how this how this works even i think even ben uh, shapiro is getting caught up uh in this uh stuff he's now what a foundational element of white supremacy or or something like that so yeah it's uh uh kind of predictable as a whole so have you read this lockdown apartment dwellers in sydney australia are now being denied alcohol and now of course I could care less if I'm denied alcohol, but, you know, we're talking about <laughs> Australia here. And Australia, of course, uh, they are known to be fairly positive towards their... Um, uh, fairly positive towards their alcohol. Uh, the residents of Common Ground, a social housing estate in Camperdown, where residents are locked in their apartments after four residents tested positive uh, to COVID. Officials are searching care packages sent to them to make sure they don't contain too much of the demon alcohol. If someone sends them more than a six-pack a day or a bottle of wine, it's tipped down the gutter. So, I mean, and, and you understand, right? I mean, the, the reason why the government gives you free health care is so that they can take it away, away from unpopular people down the road. That's, you know, that's kind of inevitable. And I've said this before, it probably bears repeating, one of the problems with the success of the free market recently, it used to be the case, of course, that... If you asked for too much state power or you, you wanted too much state control of your life, that you yourself would face the consequences. But because we have so much wealth and so much debt and so much government collateral, then the boomers could get all the freedoms and now uh, all of the liberties, all of the extra welfare, warfare state, they could get all the social benefits without paying the taxes. And it actually goes to the, it goes to the next generation, which is, which is pretty tragic, right? Uh, that's one of the problems with a free society is that the negatives accumulate to the next generation, which is really, 
quite, quite tragic. Uh, hit me with a why. Did you hear about variants before people got vaccinated? Did you? Did you hear about variants? Was that a thing? Uh, I mean, I know it was talked about as a potential. Was it actually a thing that you heard about before all the vaccination started? Does anybody remember? So that's a question. I don't remember it. But if you do remember it, I mean, you know, I, I'm far from omniscient, obviously. So, um, yeah, some, people, some of you do remember hearing about variants before the vaccinations kicked in. Yeah, I mean, so that, you know, I, again, I'm no epidemiologist, of course, right? But the general theory seems to be or one of them seems to be that because it's a leaky vaccine, it doesn't kill off all of the COVID variants. Oh, sorry, it doesn't kill off all COVID. And therefore, when you uh, end up, the door opened, ghost, in walks my conscience. But um, because it's a leaky vaccine, you end up not killing off all of the COVID. So the ones who remain are the most resistant to the vaccine. And I remember, gosh, I was in my teens and I was uh, in a garage band shredding my voice as a uh, quasi singer. And I got a sore throat and, and I got antibiotics. And uh, then I, um, I told my doctor uh, that I hadn't finished the antibiotics because I was better within a couple of days. And he got really mad at me and gave me a long lecture about, you know, you, you've got to finish your antibiotics. Otherwise, you're just creating you know, superbugs and all that kind of stuff. So it's common knowledge back in the day, right? Back in the day. But um, so I guess the idea is that if you got hit with COVID and your natural immunity kicked in, it would what, eliminate more of the virus than the vaccines do, which the vaccines were, of course, developed for the alpha variant that came out uh, in the fall of 2019. And that alpha variant is not around anymore. So they're actually vaccinating for something that doesn't really exist anymore, which has always struck me as kind of strange. Uh, always struck me as kind of strange, but there it is, right? So uh, yeah, it's, um, it's, most, it's most odd. And so the fear, of course, is that the vaccines are driving the variants, right? The fear is that the vaccines are driving the variants. Uh, sorry, I just need to send a message. And uh, the data, you know, is it still out? Is it coming back in? And uh, we will, a vaccine will speed up evolution, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, there was a South Africa variant before that. Is that right? Okay. I mean, no, it's good to know. It's good to know. Okay, I'm sort of trying to keep track of all of this stuff. I'm just one man. <laughs> I'm just one man. Uh, let's see what else did I say here. Oh, yeah, yeah. So uh, hit me with a Y if you are aware of the book of Revelations, right? The book of Revelations and the predictions of sort of the end times. Hit me if you are aware of that. Of course, this may be something that you truly and strongly believe. It may be something that you learned uh, when you were a kid, like I did uh, growing up in a, in a church. But uh, hit me with a Y if you're aware of all of this stuff. You are, right? Hello, Book of Eli. Nice to see you. You're aware, right? You're aware of this, right? So, you know, in, in, in the good book, there is descriptions of a, a system that will prevent you from participating in society unless you bore a particular mark, right? And... It's pretty wild, right? 
it's pretty wild when you when you think about it just how accurate this sort of prediction was kind of gives you pause as i'm getting a lot of pause with regards to god these days it kind of kind of does give you some uh, pause in these areas right so yeah keep your eyes peeled for that I, I may do a whole show on revelations which was something i read repeatedly when i was younger and uh and there's the rapture, right? The idea, of course, that as things slide to hell in a handbasket on earth, like as tyranny takes over and the unrighteous and the satanic rule the world, that the virtuous believers are yeeted up into heaven physically, right? And, and I remember seeing a bumper sticker when I was doing business in Houston many years ago where the guy said, if my car is empty and you're still here, I'm sorry you didn't make it to the rapture or something like that, right? And... That is uh, some, some pretty powerful stuff. And my, my Christian friends, you know, one of my Christian friends was, was talking to me and he said, oh yeah, we've been preparing for this since I was a little kid. Like we've, we've, been, we've been preparing for this since I was a little kid. It's all coming through true as, as was predicted. And whatever your theological beliefs, that's got to be something that gives you just a tiny, tiny, tiny little bit of pause, right? Because that's some pretty powerful stuff. Hit me with a why if you'd like me to do a, a show on, on Revelations. I mean, don't get me wrong. Of course... Every show I do is a revelation. All right. But no, if, you, if you'd like me to do a show on revelations and sort of go through the end times predictions and scenarios, I find them really fascinating. And uh, there's a sort of lot of ancient wisdom. Uh, I, I remember um, I read a book called Childhood's End. I was a big Arthur C. Clarke fan when I was younger. And in, in Childhood's End, the aliens look like Satan. They look like devils, right? Horns, bat wings, and all that kind of stuff. And... I remember being quite struck by that, like what a, you know, the aliens came in the past and scared people and they look like devils and that's where we got the idea of devils from. And then I thought Arthur C. Clarke did some goofy little thing where it was like, no, no, they got some weird time ripple from the distant future and uh, I just thought it was crap. It was a very clever idea that space aliens had come and they look like devils and that's why we were afraid of devils and all of that. Okay, all right, I will, I will do that. I will do a show on Revelations uh, because I find it... Uh, uh, I find it really fascinating stuff. So I will. If you if you desire it, it shall be. Oh, yeah, the white supremacy pyramid. Uh, ben Shapiro is the foundation of white supremacy. So, and the Donald Trump is moving society in a path towards mass murder and genocide. Yeah, well, there are arguments about all of that stuff, but they don't particularly involve Donald Trump. All right. Did you know that women... Okay, give me, give me a guess. What percentage of America's student debt is owed by the ladies, right? What percentage of, of America's student debt is owned by women? Steph, can you do more rants where you're half irritated and make people look like morons? I love... I live for those. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, when the, when the mood strikes, I don't back it down, but you can't squeeze that stuff out of yourself, right? Oh, yeah, now Biden's new thing, right? You get the vax or you get the X. So we have, uh, this came out uh, a little while ago, February 18th, 2021. And this is from Investopedia. We got a 65, 75, 80%, right? 65%, 75%, 70%. Right, so... Uh, almost two-thirds of the $1.5 trillion in student loan debt 
is held by women. So it's 979, no, sorry, 929 billion out of 1.5 trillion. And that is pretty wild. So women, and this is higher now, because I just did a show on this the other day, women make up 57% of undergraduate students in the United States. An estimated 60% of all students seeking a master's degree are women. And uh, this is largely because women, this is the article, may need one more degree to close the earnings gap with men. And uh, that's not, uh, and none of this is true. None of this is true at all. And... Women are statistically more educated than men and seek out more graduate school degrees. You'd think wages would follow that, but they don't. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. That is just wild. Um, black women have an even more difficult time repaying loans due to both gender and racial discrimination. Uh, black women leave school with $37,500 in average debt. 35,665 for black men, 31,346 for white women, and 29,862 for white uh, men, right? Uh, the average student loan figures don't include students who manage to graduate with no debt at all. But here's the thing. So women of color typically tend to pursue careers in education, social work, and psychology, which pay less and requires master's or doctoral degrees. They do this because they believe these fields are important and meaningful despite the cost of succeeding in them, right? So if you have a whole group of people, in this case women, who pursue degrees which require higher education and pay less, well, then of course they, but it's not, it's not a pay gap, it's not a gender pay gap and just people hate women or whatever. Uh, it's just that you choose to enter fields with very expensive educational barriers to entry that tend to pay less than, say, petroleum engineering. Yeah, every woman who complains about the pay gap who's not a petroleum engineer or has founded a technology company or something, it's like, I don't know, I don't care. I mean, if, if you're, I don't know, like a psychologist or you're a social worker or an educator or, you know, women's studies or art history or whatever, it's like, okay, well, then you, you can't complain. I mean, you can, of course, but you can't complain about the pay gap if your choice of subjects is only making it worse, really. I mean... <laughs> I don't even know. How can, you, how can you complain about a pay gap when you choose a field that pays far less than the fields that men choose, such as the STEM fields? If you choose lesbian, interpretive, basket-weaving, dance, poetry major, which pays, you know, $8 an hour, and then you complain about the pay gap, it's like, it's literally like complaining about a sinking boat while detonating TNT in the hold. It's just pretty wild. It's pretty, pretty wild. So... The cost of debt and financial literacy, right? This is the, uh, uh, this is the, uh, this is the issue, right? Um, women might leave school with more debt because they were less informed about student loans and wind up borrowing more money than necessary, often at higher interest rates. Now, look, look at this agency. You've got to watch this language. It's really powerful. Look at this agency-less language. You see, they might leave school with more debt because they were less informed about student loans. In other words, it's not their fault for actually figuring out what they're signing. It's not their fault for failing to think ahead or plan ahead or figure out, you know, I mean, gosh, when I was in doing my master's degree, I would have been interested in doing a PhD. I loved being in the, uh, I was one of the, I mean, it was one of the greatest times of my young life was I had my own little, little uh, desk uh, in the 
graduate area of the uh, library and I could just go there and, and I could keep books there and I could just read and plow through books and just read great philosophy for hours and, and, and weekends and oh, it, was, it was just glorious. It was a wonderful, wonderful time in my life. Uh, I could pursue knowledge without the pursuit of knowledge being physically, financially or reputationally dangerous as it is now. So I got all the benefits of knowledge with none of the costs. I got all the benefits of wisdom with none of the penalties of wisdom. It was really a wonderful, wonderful time. I, I look back on it with great, with great fondness. Um, but I looked down the road and I said, okay, well, what if I go forward to get my PhD? You know, I'm in my 20s, late 20s. Uh, it's going to take me five to seven years to do a PhD. Then it's going to take me five years to get a tenure track position. So, you know, I may not be earning a steady paycheck until my 40s. And I don't mind living poor. I didn't, I grew up poor. It's not a big thing for me to live poor. But uh, wow, it's uh, something that I just looked. And then I thought, okay, well, we've got all of this affirmative action stuff that's going on because I had worked in affirmative action in a major Canadian corporation uh, when I was younger and you know, creating diversity uh, documents and, and graphs and charts and, and ethnic and gender analysis of the workforce and so on. So you could see this stuff coming. So it's like, okay, as a white male, how am I going to do in the covering woke planet? Uh, do I want to really have nothing to offer a woman until I'm in my 40s? Then I have to choose a much younger woman that I may not have much in common with because if I want to have kids. Anyway, so you, you think through these things, don't you? Don't you think through these things? Like that woman I picked up in the gym who uh, uh, came out for coffee with me and then over coffee mentioned that she had a husband and said, but, you know, it's an open marriage. And I said, no, that doesn't work for me at all. I mean, other than the moral issues, if I don't even know if you're telling the truth, if I don't like you, having an affair with you would be no fun. And if I do like you, having an affair with you would be torture because you're already married. So there's no positive upside for me. So it's, um, it's just wild, right? So... You think about these things. I mean, men do. All the men I've ever talked about, you know, think and plan ahead pretty well when it comes to uh, finances, right? Of course they do, because, you know, we we got we to think about these things. But here you say, well, it's not because the women didn't look these things up. It's not because the women didn't ask the men in their life. It's not because the women didn't pursue this knowledge. They were just less informed. Nobody told them. Nobody told them. And you wonder why there's a, a gender pay gap when your own finances and everything to do with that suddenly is completely irrelevant because nobody told you stuff. You, you like, do they not think that women should look these things up for themselves, particularly women with graduate degrees? They should not try to figure out what's the future, like where am I going to get a job? How am I going to get a job? And, and how much am I going to get paid? And will it be enough to pay off my student loans and all that kind of stuff? Like it's just, it's just very strange. It's, I mean, I guess it's not hugely strange. It just seems kind of odd to me that they would say, well, I mean, these highly educated, highly motivated, highly brilliant women who can completely equal with a man, well, they leave with more debt because nobody told them about the money they were borrowing. Like it's someone's job to sit down with anybody they're lending money to and go over all the, how are you going to pay this back and what's, your, what's the marketing opportunities and what, what are the... What are the uh, hiring opportunities and what's the average salary you're going to get and where you're going to work and what's the cost of living going to be? Like, is it anyone's job to sit down and tell you that stuff when you're not, I don't know, 12 years old? Why is it anyone's job? Well, they just weren't informed. And clearly, if you don't sit down and go over all of these things with women, according to this article, they have absolutely no choice and chance to figure it out themselves. I mean, what an unbelievable insult to, to women as a whole, right? Ah, 
so a quick question. What percentage of women globally are financially literate? Right, so uh, you answer some basic questions about finances. What percentage of women around the world are financially literate? And uh, I, I'd like to know. <laughs> I'd like to know what you guys think. What percentage? I'm sorry, there's a little bit of a, of a delay here, but uh, around the world, what percentage of women? 25%? 5%, Lucy, that's kind of cynical. 15%, uh, 45, 21, 33, 10. Okay, so the answer is about 30% of women uh, can answer basic questions about finances and are considered to be financially literate. Now, it's not that much better for men. Men are only at 35%. Financial literacy improves in advanced economies. 59% of men could adequately answer questions on financial topics compared to 51% of women. So, uh, that's interesting, right? When you think about this in terms of democracy, right? Half of women, even in advanced economies, don't have any basic financial literacy, but they're voting on multi-trillion dollar spending things from the government. Women with, according to this article, women with, with master's degrees need to be patient, need to have basic financial realities sit down and patiently gone over with them because they can't possibly figure these things out themselves, but they uh, absolutely um, can, can vote <laughs> intelligently in a market, right? Now, I don't know, maybe interesting, I'll look at, maybe I'll look at this one point, like what are the questions that are asked with regards to these uh, women? So, uh, so women disproportionately hurt by the COVID-19 pandemic. Yeah. Of course, more, more men are dying than women of COVID, but women are disproportionately hurt, of course. Lockdown measures and the shift to remote learning in many states caused many parents to step down from their careers. Nearly 20% of working-age adults became unemployed because of changes in childcare. Women were almost three times more likely than men to leave their jobs for this reason. 32.1% versus 12.1%. So the loss of income will likely make it even harder for most women to pay down their student loan debt. So, does financial literacy always equate to financial success, though? Lucy. Lucy, Lucy, Lucy. <laughs> that's a troll question, my, my friend. I love you to death, but that's a total troll question. Does financial literacy always equate financial success, though? Of course not. <laughs> of course not. But a lack of financial literacy means you can't succeed. <laughs> it's necessary, but not sufficient. You know that, right? I'm sorry, you're just a little bit triggered. So, so here's the thing, man. I mean, I, I guess it's, it's the kids who grew up with no exposure to disasters in the world. I grew up with constant exposure to disaster. I mean, I, just, I don't just talk personally in my household, but, you know, when I would walk around the streets in England, you'd see all of these curbside concrete things, like, and, and they'd have holes in them. And I remember asking someone, you know, why do all of these curbside things have holes in them? And they said, oh, well, that's where there used to be iron railings, but they ripped them out to build weaponry during the Second World War. So I grew up on a steady diet of the Second World War. And of course, I would hear horror stories from my mother about uh, predatory communists and, uh, you know, her mother dying uh, in, um, in Dresden. They only found the clasp of her handbag in the ruin and the rubble and so on. And her 
her, her family composed of intellectuals and poets and writers all being suppressed and chased from one end of Germany to the other um, and not allowed to write, not allowed to publish. So I grew up hearing all of these things. And of course, when you grow up poor, like you, you, you want to stride around in life. This is a general piece of life advice. I'm sure you guys know it, but it's probably important to get it out there anyway. You kind of want to roll in life with deficit mentality, sorry, with excess mentality, with, with excess mentality. Excess mentality to me is have more than you need. You know, if, if you're going out into the woods and you have three nights where you need to light a fire, you don't just bring three matches, right? Because they could get wet, one of them might break, one of them might not work, you might not, even if it lights, you might not get the, right? You bring a box of matches. You bring more than you absolutely minimally need. I mean, that's just basic intelligent life skill 101. Excess mentality. Get more. Have more than what you need. Get more than what you need. Always have savings in the bank. Always have more money than you need to pay your bills. Don't live paycheck to paycheck. You can't do that. Because that is an unsustainable situation. I'll give you an example. From, it's a very personal to my life. So, look, I'm not a super healthy guy, but... Every second day, I work out for an hour to an hour and a quarter, right? I do, do half hour of hard cardio, and I do maybe 40, 45 minutes of weights. And, I mean, I also, you know, I hike and play tennis. I try, try to stay active. I try to stay healthy. I try to maintain a healthy weight and uh, all of that. So I'm a, I would say, probably in the top 10% of my age group of, of healthy people, right? Now, that's more health than I need to be a podcaster. That's more health than I need to be a vlogger. That's more health than I need for what it is that I do in my life, right? But I'll tell you where that excess mentality literally kept me alive is that when I got cancer, one of the things that the doctors and the nurses told me is that you will likely beat this thing because you're already so healthy. I've got a very good resting heart rate. My blood work is perfect. I, you know, I'm just a healthy person. I've actually never spent a night in a hospital. I've never broken a bone. Uh, and I'm just a very healthy person. So when I got a life-threatening ailment, I was robustly and repeatedly informed that one of the reasons I had far less to worry about than most people was because I had a very strong immune system, I had a very strong heart, my body could take the chemo, it could take the radiation and shrug it off, and I didn't really have that much to worry about because I had such a strong base of health to begin with. So I had more health than what I needed for what it is that I did in my life but I had just enough health to not die from cancer, right? Which was, I think, fairly important. It made all of the times that I spent working out kind of worth it, right? Because again, I've been doing, I've been, I sort of went through this phase of not being particularly healthy. I was a healthy kid, ran around all the time. I got kind of down and inert and, and um, kind of sopophoric when my mother was losing her mind and I was alone with her for a couple of years. And, and then I just kind of shook that off I remember watching, I think it was Participation, I don't know, maybe 12 or 13 years old. And I was like, you know what, I got to start moving again, right? And I started running around the little apartment. And then I just started running everywhere. I, I joined the cross country team. I was on the swim team. I was on the water polo team. I was just, you know, working, working out. I started lifting weights and, and I basically been doing that from the age of 15 or 16 to like 40 years. And again, uh, with a few breaks here and there for injuries or just, you know, whatever, right? But... I have, uh, you know, been pretty robust with this kind of stuff. So just in life, just have more than you need. Just have more than you need. 
Because, you know, I mean, I put this thing out the other day. Have money in the bank, do more than you need to just maintain your relationships, like be nicer, be kinder, be better, be more helpful. You know, if my daughter loves playing a particular game, even if I don't really like it, I'll do it. Yesterday, um, I said, gosh, it's so nice, let's do something outside. Uh, and I said, you know, you can do the, we can do uh, a frisbee, we can do these throw catchy things with the little curved uh, hooks uh, you throw and catch the balls. We can, you know, any, anything you want. And she said, you know, I really want to learn how to hit a, hit a baseball better, right? So we have a little baseball and a, a bat and all of that. And not to toot my own horn too much, I'm very good at hitting <laughs> baseballs. I did rounders in, in the UK and I did a lot of baseball here, put a lot of baseball. I'm very, I'm very good hitter. So I, I taught her some stuff and, and then she hit the ball and I just went to get it, right? Because she just needed to throw the ball up and, and catch it and, and, and sort of throw the ball up and hit it and all of that. And I sort of showed her how to do it and and then it was like an hour of just running to catch the ball, giving her some tips, throwing it back. It's not fun for me, right? It's nothing you would do sort of on your own, but it, it makes her happy. It gives her an additional skill set and, and it's fun to watch her grow that way. So you just do stuff. You know, uh, you know, you're sitting there with your wife and, and she wants to watch some movie that you're not particularly interested in or might not like at all. And it's like, you know what, let's give it a try. Let's give it a try. Do more than you need to maintain your relationships. Do more, have an excess mentality. Just all that and a slice of pie. All that and ice cream uh, on the side. All that and icing on top. Just be more. Work harder in your job then you need to. That way you'll be able to rise. You'll be able to get ahead. You'll be able to move ahead. Just do more than is required. And these bare minimum people, you know, oh, you asked me for 4%, I'll give you 4.1% maybe and consider myself generous. It's like, no, if somebody asks you for 4%, give them 40%. Be ridiculously generous. I mean, uh, I've been canceled up the wazoo um, and cancel cultured from here to eternity. I'm still doing tons of shows. I'm still having these conversations, still enjoying my conversations with you. Just do more and, and have more health, have more money, because here's the thing, man. You want to hear a little tiny rant? I hope this doesn't hit people who are watching this too hard, or maybe I don't mind that it does, but I'll tell you either way, nonetheless. Boy. So I talked about, I've been talking about crypto for 10 years plus, right? Since Bitcoin first, first came out. And when I say to people, it's probably a good idea. You might want to think about it, you know, blah, 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 right? I get so many messages of like, ah, oh, you know, I've been listening to the show for a long time, but I've got no money. Uh, I live paycheck to paycheck. And I just I can't, how can I afford to buy any crypto? <laughs> what do you even say? What do you even say? Well, I'll tell you what I, I will say to you and, and to those people. Look, when it comes to personal responsibility, the excess mentality primarily and first applies to personal responsibility. Look, in every relationship, there's things the other person does that are negative and there are things that you do that are negative. And if you focus on what they have done wrong, and let's say you say, oh, 50-50 or whatever, when people ascribe problems in their relationship to other people, that's always and forever an excuse. Always. I don't care if you say, well, it's 99% me, but 1% them. What you're saying is it's them and I don't plan to do anything. Anytime you take something in your life and you put the blame on other people, you are making an excuse 
and promising a repetition of the behavior. No one in your life is negative to you. No one in your life can you blame for bad things in your relationship. Not one person in your life holds 1% or 0.1% or 0.01% or 1 ten-thousandth of 1% of anything negative that's happening in your life. Not you 100%. You say, oh, but that's too much. It's re really, there are other, no, 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 no. You take 100% because anything less than 100% is wiggle room for you to make an excuse and act badly. You give yourself 0% right or capacity to blame other people for what's wrong in your life. 0%. Now, that's a hard mindset to get into, but that's the mindset of true success. That is the mindset of true success. A couple of reasons, right? The most productive relationships, the most happy relationships, the most loving relationships are those where both parties take 100% of the responsibility for the quality of the relationship. Let me say that again so you really get this branded in your brain. The most successful, happy, and productive relationships are those where both people take 100% ownership for the quality of the relationship. Guaranteed. You say, well, how can both people take 100%? Because the 100% is a mindset thing which does not allow you any wriggle room for excuses. Zero. Assuming you're an adult, you have complete sovereign control over who's in your life. If you've got a difficult aunt who treats you badly, right? You have 100% control over whether you see that aunt. If you have a friend who's become some crazy communist, you have 100% ownership over whether you see that friend or not. There's nobody in your life who controls your happiness. Because if somebody in your life is making you unhappy, you are perfectly free and right. You don't have a moral duty, but you perfectly have the right to not see a destructive or negative person. So you say, oh my gosh, well this person who's in my life, well clearly they're dysfunctional and clearly they're causing the problems in my life and they're causing the problems in the relationship. No, they're not. Zero percent of that is their fault. Because if they are that obviously dysfunctional and you let them into your life and you let them stay in your life, that's on you, not on them. I mean, <laughs> take a silly example. If I cover myself in marinade and ketchup and tuna blubber and I jump into a shark feeding frenzy and I get my arm bitten off, is it the shark's fault? No, because I put myself in that situation. I put myself in that situation. You take 100% responsibility. And then what people say to me is they say, oh, but if I take 100% responsibility for the quality of my relationship, then I'll just run around trying to fix all these relationships. <laughs> no, because, and, and there's nothing wrong with trying to fix relationships. Yeah, give it a try. But if the other person is not willing to take any responsibility for any of the damage they're causing to you, then you're still 100% responsible for continuing in your relationship with that person. You can never blame anybody else. You can never blame anybody else. No excuses. No excuses is an excess mentality that gives you unimaginable power and control over your own life. No excuses. And it's so tempting to just worm that way in. Oh, well, I'll take 99%, but you've got to take 1%. No, 100% you then what will happen is you will draw people into your life who also take 100% ownership and you will have great relationships. 
But the moment you give yourself that out, that wiggle room, that, oh, maybe it's them, maybe it's that other person or whatever, right? Then what will happen is people will recognize that they can exploit you because of that. Because if you have an area in your life where you refuse to take responsibility, that's where you will end up owned by tyrants of a personal nature. Wherever in your life you fail to take 100% responsibility, that is the crack in your armor through which tyranny gets through. People will then control you, they will bully you, you take 100% responsibility. Something's going on in your work relationship, 100% responsibility of yours. You've got problems with your boss, 100% responsibility is yours. So let's say you've got a really mean, difficult boss. Okay, you chose to work there, you chose to keep working, and you say, ah, yes, but I didn't have many options. Okay, but you're responsible for not having options. If you decided to play a whole bunch of video games rather than learn about economics or, or business or marketing or technical or whatever, right? If you chose, and hey, fine, but you're 100% responsible for having a bad boss. Because either you have options and you're choosing to stay there, which is on you, or you don't have options and feel you're trapped there, that's also on you. Because you chose, you chose in life to avoid gathering the skills that you needed to have economic choice. You cannot get away from it. 100% responsibility. Oh, but my, my girlfriend, she, she, she cheats on me and, and she's making me miserable. Nope. Nope. You're 100% responsible for a cheating person being in your life. Nobody forced you to choose her. Nobody's forcing you to stay with her. Ah, oh, but I'm married and I can't divorce because, because, but everybody knows that divorce is fraught. Nobody, nobody who's 70 or younger has any doubt whatsoever given that the divorce epidemic started in the 60s. Nobody has any doubt that divorce is a very real possibility. And if you listen to people who told you to get married, if you listened, if you got dicknapped, you listened to a penis because she was hot or whatever, you got married to her, that's 100% on you. And you can stay, you can divorce, you, but it's 100% on you. That's the level of scolding self-ownership that is a superpower in this life. And I give it to you for free. This is the level of scolding self-ownership that is a superpower in this life. And if you get that, if you get that, it's incredible. People who don't take responsibility will be driven from your life. People who do take responsibility will come into your life. And your life will improve vastly thereby. Because when you take Here's the thing, when you take 100% responsibility, you get this amazing magical power to give 100% responsibility. When you take 100% responsibility for your life, you will be able to give 100% responsibility to other people's lives and their whining and their self-pity and their complaining will mean nothing to you other than I promise to act like crap again and make you feel like crap again because I'm making excuses. Remember, excuses are promises of repetition. Remember that. The superpower of responsibility will spray from you like water from a garden hose and hit people like holy water. Bring the priests and drive away the vampires. It's an incredible power. You just have that level of responsibility and other people will simply avoid you. Because when you take full self-ownership for your own life and other people are complaining, you just say, well, you, you're responsible. I'm responsible for my life. You're 100% responsible for your life. If there's negative things in your life, you can fix it. And if you want to fix it, hey, I'm, I'm happy to help. But if you don't want to fix it, life's too short to listen to people complain.
Life is way too short to listen to people complain who have no intention of changing and just want you to be their psychological vomitorium for all of their self-avoidance of responsibility. So, of course, for women, if you complain about the wage gap, fine. But women are 100% responsible for the wage gap. Women are 100% responsible for the wage gap. Men are 100% responsible for the wage gap. No victims. 100% ownership in life means no victims. No victims. The first, was it Miss Ireland now? The first black woman, a migrant I think, now became Miss Ireland and the first thing she did was complain about racism. <laughs> right, it's hard to get. Once you get it, you, you can't live any other way. Once you get it, you can't live. The moment that people start talking about structural this or systemic that or barriers to... No, 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 no. 100% responsible. If you're a waiter when you're 40, that's 100% on you. You say, oh, but I had a bad childhood. Okay, but once you've identified your bad childhood as an impediment to your success, you're now responsible for dealing with it, <laughs> Right? If there was some invisible ray that made you weaker and dumber and you had no idea it existed, like some ether thing, okay, then I can give you that excuse. But the moment you say, well, I couldn't get that far ahead because of my childhood, it was so bad and I was aggressed against and ignored and bullied and beaten and blah, okay. But now you've identified, because you've for a long time identified your childhood as the source of your problems, then you are now responsible for dealing with it. Right, so it's like, um, you ever had a, a house or an apartment, there's water damage, right? Something's sagging, there's a crack, it's discolored on the ceiling, right? Now, if, you, if that goes on for a year and then your ceiling breaks and then you say, well, yeah, but I mean, my ceiling broke because there was water damage up there, which I knew about for a year. It's like, okay, well, you know about the water damage, so you got to get a plumber in, you got to fix it, maybe you need the hole ripped open. There's something you got to do to fix that water damage, right? Or not, at least don't use the sink or the bathtub up there, whatever, right? You understand? Just try it on. The excess mentality. The people who, like, oh, Steph, I've been listening to you for a long time. I've been living paycheck to paycheck. How can I afford crypto? Solve my problem. How can I, how can I afford crypto when I have no money? It's total crap. It's whiny, annoying, self-centered, promise of repetition, excuse-o-matic garbage. Sorry, you need to get this mirror held up to you. You need to get this mirror held up to you. If you've been listening to me for years, I guarantee you, let's say you've been listening to me for five years, I guarantee you, what did you do? Did you take a vacation? Sure did, cost you a couple of grand, right? Did you have a bunch of dinners out? Sure did, probably cost you a couple of hundred dollars a month, right? Did you have whatever? Did you have a subscription to, to some online streaming service? Did you buy a bunch of video games? Of course you've had some disposable income over the last five years. Don't bullshit me. You've had some disposable income over the last five years. And you chose to spend that money on dinners and vacations and video games and subscription services and, 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 and drinking and, and booze and cigarette, whatever. Maybe you've had a drug habit. Maybe you've had some weed or whatever, right? But you took all of that money and instead of putting it into crypto, you spent it on stuff that you have nothing to show for. 
Now, I'm fine with dinners out. It's, it's a nice way to make sure you have a great conversation. I ate out with my wife and daughter last night on a rather chilly patio, and we had an absolutely hilarious dinner of remembering trips and travel and, and joking, and it was just, it was so much fun. Highly memorable. It was well worth the money. Vacations. Wonderful. Go take your vacations. Enjoy them. It's good to have the shining jewels of memory of things that were different from the everyday. Wonderful. Enjoy your vacations. But don't come to me in five years and say, well, there's no way I could have bought crypto. What you're doing is you're trying to manage and minimize your regret. And come on, Bitcoin's up 365% in 365 days. I and mean, of course you have regret if you don't have crypto. Of course you do. Of course you do. If you listen to Shift the Elder rather than Shift the Young, of course you have regret. Of course you have regret. And you need to deal with that regret and you need to figure out what was your barrier to success. Why didn't you get what you needed in order to succeed and protect yourself in life? That's a very interesting aspect of self-exploration, but people shy away from that self-exploration because it's hard to succeed. And it's not hard to succeed intellectually, it's hard to succeed emotionally. Because when you succeed, the people around you become resentful and will often undermine you and will often sabotage you and will often get weird and, and it's a mess, right? So it's hard to succeed because so many people around you are invested in the failure planet, right? Can't win, don't try, can't get ahead. You know, they discriminate against white males. That's why I can't get ahead. They discriminate against black females. Nobody told me about my student debt. That's why I can't get ahead, blah, blah. Excuses, excuses, excuses. And you can live your life full of excuses. And excuses are a total drug. They're a total drug. Because they make you feel better in the short run and they destroy your life in the long run. It's like every little cigarette means that you don't have nicotine withdrawal in the moment. Every little drink means that you don't have the DTs in the moment. Every little piece of weed or smoke weed that you smoke or bowl that you smoke means that you don't feel anxiety and feel like a loser in the moment, right? Little, little bits, little bits. Every time you don't get up to exercise, you feel better in the moment and exercise can be uncomfortable. And so excuses, the worst drug around, the worst, most addictive drug are excuses. Well, I didn't have any money to buy crypto. Bullshit. Of course you did. Unless you're some $2 a day Indian farmer on the outskirts of Mumbai, okay, fine. But that's not, that's not the people who are writing to me. Did you buy a tablet? Did you buy a phone? Did you upgrade your phone? Do you have an expensive phone plan? Did you buy a computer that, that you wouldn't absolutely need? Right? Did you? Right? Of course. Of course you did. But tell me you don't. You, you have regret. And the regret is important. The regret is important. The regret will teach you something very important about your life. Because deep down, here's the thing, deep down we all take 100% responsibility, otherwise we wouldn't have a conscience and we wouldn't have regret. We all take, whether you acknowledge it or not, you're taking 100% responsibility. Who is responsible for the effects of child abuse in my life? Not who is responsible for the child abuse. Who is responsible for the effects of child abuse? abuse in my life? Well, I'll tell you. This speckled egg is 100% responsible. This giant melon goose head egg, goose egg head is 100, I, I am 100% responsible for the effects of child abuse in my life. Not my mother, not my father, not my extended family, no one except me, 100%. And you can go 150% if you want, that's easy too. That's a good mind trick, right? 
because it's always more than you think. Who is responsible for the effects of child abuse in my life? You're looking at it. I am 100% responsible for the effects of child abuse in my life. I'm not responsible for the child abuse having occurred in my life, because when you're a child, right, the 100% thing is for adults, right? That's why I said if you're an adult at the beginning of this, right? 100% responsibility, man. And the people who are like, well, I, I couldn't have bought crypto. Really? Really? Back when Bitcoin was 20 bucks, 50 bucks, 100 bucks. Come on. Don't try that stuff with me, man. Don't try that stuff with me. If the vaccines turn out to be dangerous and people will say, oh, but I wasn't told and I didn't. Nope, sorry. Nope, 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 nope. And particularly the internet now, information is right there, right? People who are getting mad at, at, uh, at Biden with his, like, he's got 100 million people getting hit with this bizarre executive order. I don't know how on earth that's. Well, again, I'm not, wasn't it a case at one point that Congress debated stuff and passed laws? Was that, I mean, do I remember that? Was that like a vivid memory of mine in the past? Or is it now just all totalitarian executive orders that are probably going to get tossed out by SCOTUS anyway? But um, yeah, it's just, so the people who are mad at this, right? Um, it's like, well, but you listened to the lies about Trump and you ignored the realities about Biden. And I have no, like, no sympathy. I have no sympathy. I, like, I don't. Because sympathy is for children, you understand? Sympathy is what you give to children or people struck with completely unforeseen accidents, right? I get that. You know, you're walking down, a, um, you're walking down the street and, and something fell off a plane and hits you. Okay, that's terrible. Now, if you don't have insurance, I don't have sympathy for your financial problems. But sympathy is for children. Sympathy for adults infantilizes them. Again, all but the most rare of circumstances. So people say, well, I don't have any Bitcoin, man. It's like, I have, no, I have no sympathy. I mean, you've heard about it. You chose not to look into it. You chose not to buy it. I have no sympathy because sympathy, you see, would be an insult to you. I know that you might want it in the same way that a drug addict wants the drug, but you shouldn't give it to them. The alcoholic wants the drink. You shouldn't give it to them. But... I can't give you sympathy because sympathy would be to treat you as a child and to further infantilize your existence. So when the women say, well, I ended up with too much student debt because nobody explained these things to me, I would say, well, you're not a child. You're not a, you want to be treated as an adult? I think that's great. Everybody wants the rights and respons like everybody wants the rights and responsibilities of adulthood, but they still want the excuses of childhood. Oh, how sad that is. How tempting and how sad that is. Well, I can't, get a, I can't get ahead because, and I can buy Bitcoin because I was paycheck to paycheck, and I, come on, come on. Let's say that's true. Why didn't you bother for some Bitcoin? <laughs> right, you understand? It's crazy. It's crazy. So to, to give people sympathy for the women who said, well, I mean, I ended up with $40,000 of student debt because nobody explained it to me. It's like, you're not a child. You took on this debt voluntarily. There are online calculators that allow you to figure out how much you're going to have to pay back. It's very easy to get reports on future requirements for your education and your career and how much you're going to get paid. And, and I, Yeah. It's all completely available to you. I can't give you any sympathy because that would be to treat you 
as a toddler. It would be to treat you as sort of mentally retarded or mentally handicapped or mentally challenged or something. I can't, I can't, I can't give you sympathy because you're an adult and I refuse to treat you as a child. Now, if you want sympathy, if you want to be classified as a child, okay, then you can't sign a contract, you can't vote, you can't drive a car because you're a child. You're a child. And if you want all of the excuses and sympathy justly bestowed upon children, but you want to live with all the rights and responsibilities of an adult, I will tell you that what you want is a contradiction, and I won't be a part of it. I won't be a part of this two-faced, utterly self-contradictory falsehood of whenever there's a benefit to having a right, you want it as a full adult, but whenever there are consequences to your bad decisions, you wish to be treated as a child. And, well, nobody told me. I have a master's degree, but nobody told me that, 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 that I was going to have to pay back this debt and it was going to be expensive. Come on. Come on. So, yeah, choices. Choices and consequences. Choices and consequences. All right. I shouldn't make these shows too long, right? Yeah, I probably shouldn't. Okay, so I'll stop here, but thanks everyone so much for dropping by today. Such a great pleasure to chat with you. I really appreciate the feedback. And um, don't forget to drop by tonight, 7 o'clock. Uh, I'll do a, um, yeah, we'll do a, a call-in if you want to have uh, sort of audio, audible questions, I suppose. But uh, yeah, uh, victims don't, no, victims don't have a lot of power. Victims only have a lot of power because of the state. The state is perpetual childhood. The state is trillions of dollars for victimhood, which then turns to violence. So no, victims don't have a lot of power. Uh, in a rational society, in a free society. But yeah, thanks everyone. See you tonight, 7 o'clock. And uh, yeah, have a relaxing weekend. I guess if you don't drop by tonight, uh, I don't know if this is the time for relaxation, but I hope you enjoy your weekend no matter what. Such a great pleasure to chat with you guys. Uh, I'll turn off this camera first, then have an awkward pause on the live stream. But yeah, thanks everyone. Take care. Lots of love. Bye.